STEM Conference presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our host, Dr. Mark Vaughn, sits down with the Executive Director of the Stars and Stripes Committee, Matt Bowman, and special guest, Reverend Dr. Willie Wade Jr. Up first is Corning Incorporated's Manager of Technical Talent Pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next, our esteemed guest, Matt Bowman. As the Executive Director of the Stars and Stripes Committee, Bowman works closely with senior leaders from all five services and the National Guard Bureau to build the nation's STEM capacity. Finally, today's special guest, Reverend Dr. Willie Wade Jr. Reverend Dr. Wade Jr. is an author and ordained Baptist minister with 25 years of experience and training. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn. Thank you so much, Brandon, and welcome everyone to this edition of High Tech Sunday. It's such a pleasure to have the opportunity once again to spend some time with you, and it is absolutely a thrill to have our special guest with us today, Matthew Bowman. How are you, Matt? Dr. Vaughn, I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Very good. We have a lot of ground that we want to cover in the next several minutes, as is always the case here on High Tech Sunday. But before we dig in and actually kind of engage you on the value of Bayes Stars and Stripes, which we know that you are the man to talk to about that, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So could you give us a little idea about your beginnings, your roots, if you will. Where'd you grow up and and how is it that you got on the path that led you to where you are today? Well, once again, Dr. Vaughn, thank you. You know, I'm just a, a, a country boy from a small town who is is trying to do good. I'm from Walterboro, South Carolina, which is a small town in, in South Carolina. It's actually one of the training bases for the Tuskegee Airmen. And so if there is any providence in my life story, it is that my love of aviation comes from my family, comes from the Tuskegee Airmen having trained in the small town where, where I was born. Um, my father was an army officer, so I like to tell people I did 11 schools in 11 years. And that experience has shaped me. But every summer, what really shaped me and made me who I am was spending those summers in the fields of South Carolina with the sons and daughters of sharecroppers who taught me values, hard work, moral character, and a love for science and technology. So when I was a child, there was two types of smart. When the old people would say, you're a smart young man or you're a smart young woman, one type of smart means industrious and hardworking. The other type of smart, which you would get far more credit, was that you were clever. And being clever is very important in the low country of South Carolina. And so that is who I am. Uh, from, from, um, from that early childhood, I went on to Florida a University, which is an HBCU in Tallahassee. Strike, strike, and strike, again, is what the Rattlers do. Uh, from there, I went into the Navy on a Navy scholarship to fly jets off of aircraft carriers. I flew off aircraft carriers in the Pacific and the Atlantic, uh, putting warheads on foreheads um, and doing things in defense of our nation. And uh, from there, I uh, went to Miami, worked in the counter-drug space, fighting narco-terrorists in South America, um, uh, running around doing James Bond-type stuff uh, in countries I can't even talk about. And then um, from there, I ended up going to D.C. and ending my Navy career as the acting director of diversity for the Navy, responsible for diversity policy for 375,000 people. Wow, that was a lifetime in just a few minutes. Uh, and I tell folks uh, on most broadcasts that I look for headlines, and you know that when you said putting warheads on foreheads, that one got the visual right quick. Uh, so it sounds like, I mean, uh, you've got a lot of great stories that you could tell. Uh, but when was it during that time where you were 11 schools in 11 years and experiencing uh, the time that you had with those uh, uh, descendants of sharecroppers, when did you 
actually develop a love for aviation? When did you know that that's the direction that you wanted to take? Yeah, I, I knew early on that I wanted to live a life that had adventure, a life where I could be successful. It was very important for me based on the background where I came from that, um, that uh, when I was 50, I wanted to have a mattress lifestyle. And I, I probably figured this out at 10. Uh, when I turned 10 on my 10th birthday, my dad came into my room and he said, uh, boy, you're now in double digits. And I sat there and I said, wow, I'm 10 years old. I'm in double digits. <laughs> and then I laid down and I said, won't it be great when I get to triple digits? And then I thought about it and I said, hey, nobody, almost nobody gets to triple digits. And that realization at 10 years old spurred me to want to live life as fast and as full and as rich as I could. And so that, that was what spurred me to, to live the life that I lived. That is very cool. 10 years old. My goodness, most of us at 10 years old are, are definitely not thinking about uh, having a mattress lifestyle at 50. We can't even imagine yeah. what 50 is. Earlier well, on, you mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. Well, Dr. Vaughn, you know, I want to talk about what that mattress lifestyle is, because when I talk to my own children, I have three children of my own and been married now for almost 25 years. Um, at 50, every young person should have a mattress lifestyle at 50, five zero, halfway to the end. And the mattress, the M stands for money. The A stands for adventure. The T stands for training. The other T stands for travel. The R stands for rest and relaxation. The E stands for education. The S stands for status. And the, the last S stands for um, stress-free. So at 50, you want to look up at your life and go, you know what? I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. I'm so glad that you clarified that because I thought mattress lifestyle meant by the time you're 50, you wanted to be uh, retired and able to uh, sleep in if you wanted to. So um, <laughs> I, totally, I totally missed that one. Hey, well, look, Dr. Vaughn, you know, I, I spent so much time with older people and there was a street prophet named Mr. Joe Carter. And he said, Matt, do you know why most retired people go to work, go back to work? I said, yeah, yeah, because uh, they're bored. He said they go back to work because they're broke. So <laughs> that mattress lifestyle was very important for me because having spent so much time with old people, I did not want in my older years, I did not want them to be stressful. Wow. Wow. That's a nugget right there. You mentioned about providence in your opening statement. And here on High Tech Sunday, we really enjoy getting a peek inside the the spiritual experience of our guests. And so when you think about the role that your own spiritual experience has played in shaping you into the man that you are, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I was a child, I spent a lot of time in a small um, country church called Oak Grove um, United Methodist Church. And in that church, they would sing every Sunday, a song and it would talk about the Lord and his eyes on the sparrow. And I know he's watching me and he's counting the hairs on my head. And I had two loving grandparents who spent a lot of time doting on me. And so if I had a single mark on my body, they would ask me what happened. So I said, if my grandparents do this, how much more will God do this? So my whole entire life, um, I felt like I was being watched and that I would be called to answer for anything that I did. So it's not to say that I did everything perfect, but everything that I did, even before reality TV, I always felt like I was on camera, that at the end, somebody was going to ask me, Matt, we know what you did. We got you on camera. You are being watched by us from the other side, and I wanted to make them proud. So uh, being you know, in that part of South Carolina, there is a lot of respect for the ancestors. There's a lot of stories that are being told about the ancestors. And so I wanted to make those people who went before me proud. I have on the call here my cousin, Dr. Willie Wade, and he can share with you all more stories of the Low Country. And these are the Barabbit stories that you hear about. These are those um, mother wit stories that are so important to the Low Country of South Carolina. And Dr. Vaughn, as you know, Many of the people in the diaspora came through those ports in Charleston. They kept their traditions from West Africa. 
and respect and veneration for my ancestors is a huge part of that. Thanks so much for for sharing that insight to how it is that uh, your path has been informed. And when you think about it today, again, you you shared with us uh, in the opening how varied and exciting uh, your career has been. And you and you even said that from age 10, you wanted to live fast and you wanted to have those experiences. But now at this stage in your journey, what would you say is your mission? What is it that motivates you every day? Yeah, so at this stage in the journey, I have more runway behind me than I do in front of me. And so at this part of my life, it's about legacy. It's about giving back. It's about making a difference in the lives of my children and the next generation. And when you think about that legacy that you want to build and leave, how is it that you're focused on doing that in the actual day-to-day Yeah. So I am the executive director of the BEA Stars and Stripes Committee. It is a group of 14 retired admirals and generals and SES leaders who have a mission to make more engineers for America. And I don't want to make an engineer a complicated idea. An engineer is simply somebody who makes something. Everyone, every boy and girl has the ability to be a creator and to make things. And we need to get more young people, more young Americans making things to make our country, to make the world a better place. So thinking about uh, the Bay of Stars and Stripes, and again, uh, your involvement with that endeavor, this is the 15th, incredibly the 15th year of Bay of Stars and Stripes, the event. Can you tell us a little bit more about the the inception of uh, Stars and Stripes. How, how did it come to be? I, I, I understand uh, the, the mission is to uh, enhance the pipeline, but how did you all get together with this idea? Yeah, you know, I was there at the beginning. So the first year that we did the Bay of Stars and Stripes event, it was a breakfast. It wasn't this big elaborate dinner that you see now. It was a breakfast and we wanted to have a breakfast after all of the conference and all of the recognition of engineers around the country, the Sunday after the conference, we wanted a breakfast. And we wanted 50 people, 50 military people to get together and have a breakfast. Well, um, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the four-star admiral in charge at that time, Admiral Mike Mullen, heard about this breakfast. And you know, in military circles, it's almost like any other large organization, when the big boss, the head big boss is interested in something, it amazes the heck out of everyone else. So that 50-person breakfast soon turned into 125 people jockeying around tables for space. It ended up being standing room only. People lined up along the walls, all of them waiting to get into this one small room. Uh, And that was 2006. Uh, After that event, we decided to turn it into a dinner so that we could bring 1,200 leaders, the best and the brightest that America has to offer, college presidents, four-star admirals, four-star generals, secretaries of the Army and the Navy and the Air Force, all together for one evening to recognize Black excellence in the military and to inspire young people to become engineers. And we've built from there. From there, we've built a mentoring program where we bring 175 uh, admirals, generals, and SES leaders to mentor 500 kids. We've built a veterans transition program where corporations can come in, hire veterans, give veterans the opportunity to show the leadership that they've learned in the military and how that can help corporations. We put on workshops and seminars where we bring in thought leaders. For example, we just had a workshop three months ago where we had General Perna, the general in charge of the vaccine the largest logistical effort since World War II was on a call with us, telling us that the vaccine would be ready in November. So we all knew, anyone who was on that call knew that 10 million doses were gonna come out at the end of November. And so it's that sort of access that we give. We have career days. Twice a year we do a career day. The last one we did was on astronauts. So when all of you sat up there and you saw in your homes and you saw the SpaceX crew launch into space. 250 kids did a career day with uh, Major General Charlie Bolden 
astronaut Charlie Bolton, the last black man to fly a rocket into space, as he told children from Kennedy Space Center that another African-American was going to go into space. And so we went, uh, my family and others went down to Kennedy Space Center, and we saw a rocket take off after we spent a whole day trying to get those 250 young people to be one day astronauts. So that's what it's like. And if you've never seen a rocket launch into space, it is a sight to behold. Um, we sat across the water um, on a beach facing a rocket. All the lights are on the rocket. The rocket is lit up and uh, they have a countdown. And when they reach the end of the countdown, it goes completely silent. And it looks like a sunrise as this bright orange glow um, starts around this rocket. It almost looks like, looks like the rocket's gonna catch on fire. And it's absolutely silent. And then all of a sudden you see the rocket slowly start moving. And you think, is that thing moving? It's moving so slow, it'll never get into space. <laughs> and then as you blink, you look, and it's almost like the rocket has jumped right in front of your eyes. It's jumped 10, 20, 30 feet, 100 feet. And all of a sudden you hear this sound, Whoa. the whole earth shakes as the sound wave and the shock wave hits you six miles away. And then that rocket takes off so fast that in an instant, it's gone out of sight. And all of the people on the beach who are looking at it, all of a sudden we all look at each other and you start saying, hearing USA, USA, USA. And so it's those kind of experiences that we want to give our children. That's riveting. I'm telling you, there's not any one of us probably uh, who isn't captivated when we when we see those images of vehicles being launched into space. Many, many years ago, I was co-oping for the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and NASA Center and had the opportunity to go out uh, to see a space shuttle land. Uh, never saw a rocket launch, but uh, just the awe that we've all been uh, mesmerized by most recently with the SpaceX launches, uh, what you just described, had to be life-changing. And so you, you said that Stars and Stripes has actually become, it, it sounds like almost a movement. You, you, you went from a breakfast to now we know about the uh, marquee event, that dinner that happens uh, during Black Engineer of the Year. But you've got mentoring, you mentioned, you've got speakers, you've got all of these kinds of touch points that are intended to plant seeds, water seeds, and, and help people grow into these engineering careers. Uh, and so the, the value is something that is certainly immeasurable in a way. Uh, let's talk about the, the theme for 2021 for a moment, answering the call yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What does that mean to you? So answering the call is one of our most important themes that we've ever come out with. Uh, African-Americans have been in defense of this nation since before the founding of America. Crispus Attucks, a black man, was the first person killed in the American Revolution in defense of the nation. When you get to the 54th Massachusetts during the Civil War, uh, in defense of the nation, answering the nation's call, the Harlem Hellfighters answering the nation's call in World War I, the Triple Nickel, the Tuskegee Airmen answering the nation's call in World War II. Then you move all the way through the Vietnam era, through the 80s and the 90s, and African-Americans still are answering the call. So when you get to today, you look at people like General C.Q. Brown, the chief of staff of the Air Force. You look at warriors um, across the military. 20% of the U.S. military defense is composed of African-American men and women. We make up 13% of the population, but 20% of the fighting force. And only 1% of Americans even go into the fighting force. So we are over-indexed when it comes to defending America. And so uh, the answering the call, what is the call? What is the call that we're answering? The call is the blood, sweat, and tears that have been shed by Black women and men during slavery to be a part of this American um, dream that we're all working towards. So that's the call that we're answering. We're looking for corporate partners. We're looking for colleges. We're looking for schools and other partners to join this movement. I think you aptly described it as a movement. So we're looking for them to join this movement. And so Baya.org is a place for them to connect with us, to join this movement, to be a part of the Baya family. 
Thank you so much for that, Mr. Bowman. Uh, I want to hang a little bit more because you dropped the name there, General Brown. Uh, each year, as you know, there's a featured branch um, of the military for uh, BEA. It rotates. Uh, and so the Air Force is the branch being featured this year. Talk to us about the importance of having the first black chief of staff for the Air Force with you this year. Yeah, we, we are overjoyed to have General C.Q. Brown, the first black chief of staff of the Air Force to speak. Uh, he is one of five leaders who defend, who are the top five military leaders, not just in America, in the world. Um, it is a historic event. Um, it is uh, a once in a lifetime opportunity for him to get to speak to young people. He is an aviator, he's a fighter pilot by trade, uh, but he is a phenomenal leader. When it comes to social movements, when it comes to social issues um, of the day, Black Lives Matter, uh, the Me Too movement, he has spoke out loudly and clearly that the worth of people to the Air Force and to the nation is of utmost importance. So we're excited to hear him talk. Um, we know that it'll be a standing room only. Um, he is the leader for not just for Black people, but for all service people in the military. Um, so we're excited to hear his words. When you think about what it is that we have all been dealing with over the course of the last, uh, it feels like forever, it's been 10 months, I guess. Um, we've, we've gone virtual, we've gone hybrid, and uh, we've, we've had to do the best that we can to have important connections continue. What has that meant or what do you think it will mean as we look forward to Bayer 2021? So this will go down in history as the best of times and the worst of times. There are many people who are prospering in a pandemic. That is the goal for all of us, to be able to prosper in a pandemic. But there, are, there is a digital apartheid that happens in our country. And there are many young children in urban cities and in rural environments who 2020 is going to go down as the worst year of their lives unless we, as the adults in the room, don't reach back and empower those young people to be successful. That's what Bayer Stars and Stripes is doing. That's what Bayer at large is doing, is we are covering that digital divide. We're gonna be a bridge to make sure that young people um, recognize that this new world, this digital world, is the best opportunity in the last 6,000 years for people to leap from poverty to the middle class, to leap from poverty to riches. The internet has leveled the playing field. If you need to get your message out, if you have a powerful message, a new technology, even a great idea, the internet lets you do it. As you know, the Stars and Stripes actually happens during BEA, which is, of course, a STEM conference. And High Tech Sunday, we focus a lot on STEM, of course. Can you speak to us uh, uh, a little bit more about why it makes sense for there to be this crossroads between military and STEM. So your tax dollars and my tax dollars fund all of the innovation in the United States. Um, the United States innovation comes from a couple of different areas. All those areas are funded by the military. It is no small incidence that the vaccine is being distributed by the military people do not fully appreciate how involved in life is the U.S. military. The internet that we're talking on was developed by the U.S. military. The global positioning system that you use every day was developed by the military. When I first started flying, GPS was a top secret um, technology that we were not supposed to share or tell people that we had that would help us get airplanes from one place to another. Now every man, woman, and child has GPS on their phone. Uh, Imarsat, satellite telephone, satellite internet, was an idea that's developed by the U.S. military. In the next 20 years, we're going to have a whole network of satellites circling the globe that assure that you have internet connectivity in any valley, any tunnel, any farthest reaches of the earth. So the military is the creator of technology 
And it's very important that uh, um, people in urban centers, African-Americans, people who've been historically underrepresented are in the military, are part of developing those projects. Listen, the military is the only place in the world where they'll take a country boy from Roundo, Walterboro, South Carolina, at 22 years old, put you in a $50 million airplane and let you go fly around with no adult supervision. Industry won't do it, academia won't do it, but the US military trusts young people to do things uh, every day that no one else in the world would allow you to do. That definitely gives a important perspective on the value that the military brings. We often think only in terms of soldiers, uh, and we certainly uh, appreciate their service to our country. Actually, uh, we appreciate your service uh, to our country as well. But when you think about the pinnacle of technology that military forces have actually not only leveraged, but have invented, uh, it, it makes the idea about what the military uh, provides a whole lot broader. And, and so if we think about young people, I think you mentioned them earlier, when we think about young people and STEM careers, and we know that you are vested in increasing the numbers of young people who are going into STEM fields, engineering in particular. But why would a young person, in your opinion, why should a young person consider the military as an option for pursuing their career goals? So um, early on, I started this conversation by saying that when I was 10 years old, I looked at my life and I wanted to have a life of adventure. I talked about having a mattress lifestyle. The US military is a place for you to have a mattress lifestyle. You will have money, you will have adventure, you will have travel and training beyond your wildest imagination. This lifestyle, this military lifestyle is one I recommend to any young person. I mentor a lot of young people and I tell them, I only mentor winners. Now, does that mean that every young person that I mentor is a winner? No, they may not be a winner when I get them, but by the time I'm done with them, they will be a winner at life. That is my, that is my mission. The military is a team of people that breeds and teaches you how to lead and how to be a winner. When you look around the world, and, and I'll, 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 I'll say it like this, when you look around the world, the, the, the most prominent family in the whole world is the royal family of England. They send all of their boys, every single last one, into the um, British military, into the Royal Navy. That is no coincidence. A thousand years of leadership, a thousand years of royalty, they don't send their children into banking. They don't send their children into academia. They send their children first into military first to become leaders because if you can refine and become a better leader then when you go into banking then when you go into academia then when you go into corporate america or nonprofit, you'll have a greater impact that is absolutely powerful and and i'm telling you as i'm listening to you uh, i was thinking hmm am i too old but before you <laughs> before you try to tell me i'm not let me let me just uh keep it going i can tell you uh we're really uh excited about uh having you introduce our special guests but i have another question for you before we do that there was a time when i actually <clears throat> of that age where i was thinking about hmm Maybe military is something I should uh, consider because I had heard some of the things that you've talked about in terms of science and technology uh, and how it is that the advances that we experience really do come out of the military. But I was concerned about what I was hearing about some of the racial issues that sometimes come up uh, for people of color uh, in the military. Can you speak to your own experiences uh, as it pertains to being a person of color and, and whether or not there were challenges that you faced uh, as a result of that throughout your career? The U.S. military is a reflection 
of America. So any issue that you have in America, you will have that mirror image, that mirror reflection in the U.S. military. Um, but what I will say is this, is that the military has clear rules about what is and is not acceptable. Um, I didn't even know how clear the rules were. I didn't know how valuable and how great an environment the military created for you to address the inevitable racism that springs up when you bring, you know, two million people together that, that, that has a mechanism to solve the crimes and the uh, uh, human interactions, the negative human interactions that happen when you bring two million people together. Until my wife, who's a pharmacist for CVS, after 20 years at CVS, she finally, after the Me Too movement, had one video, one DVD that they all had to take on how to handle sexual harassment in the workplace. And she came home to me and she's so excited. She goes, wow, we got this great training. Do you know that it's, you can't say inappropriate jokes if you're a customer to a person who's working in the pharmacy? Do you know they told us all these techniques on how to deal with people? And I looked at her and I was shocked. Every soldier, sailor, airman, marine, and coast guardman gets quarterly training quarterly, every three months, training on how to deal with other people. What's appropriate to say? You can't talk about their holidays. You can't talk about how they look. They can't, so many rules that you've been taught that you take it for granted. And I, after 20 plus years in the military, had taken for granted all of the good training that I had received. And I was a diversity officer. And I took for granted that everyone receives training every quarter. And only to find out that in the civilian world, People don't get quarterly training on how to treat other people. Um, that training was good. Um, the racism that I experienced um, in the military and everyone experiences some level of racism um, is pales in comparison to the opportunities. Um, I was raised in Walterboro, South Carolina around uh, old people who dealt with a type of racism that I could barely even comprehend. Um, there's nothing that stops me from getting alone. Nothing that stops me from having um, people of all races and colors work for me. Uh, those things weren't available to my uh, ancestors. You know, I have my cousin here, um, and we talk about leadership all the time. And the fact that leadership begins in the home, and that leadership can propel you to success in life. I know that's my story. Um, and uh, I know that's probably the story of other leaders. So I have uh, Dr. Willie Wade. He can talk to you a little bit about the lessons in leadership. So um, if it's okay with you, Dr. Vaughn, I'd like to bring on my cousin. This is my low country buddy, my brother, uh, <laughs> Dr. Willie Wade. <laughs> hey, cuz, how you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing great, I'm doing great. Good. You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and our special guest, Executive Director of the Stars and Stripes Committee, Matt Bowman and Reverend Dr. Willie Wade Jr. This week's episode is brought to you by the Bay of STEM Conference. Now, a word from our sponsor. If we're able to save kids act a certain way because of the negative influences in their lives, the role models that they see on the street corner and places like that, if we're willing to buy into negativity, then why can't we buy into positive things? And that's what this conference uh, is all about. And I, I really hate calling it a conference because it isn't, it's a community. We've built over the years a strong community of at least 30,000 active people that we can reach out to any given day. And why do they do this? Because they feel that being part of this community, they are part of something greater and that they're surrounded by people who are like-minded like them. Baya, becoming everything you are. Again, this week's episode is brought to you by the Baya STEM Conference. Now, back to the show. 
Well, we are certainly happy to have you uh, with us on this special feature, Dr. Wade. And I'm going to ask you, uh, Mr. Bowman, uh, if you wanted to have uh, this part of the interview, or I will take it for you, because there's a lot that we actually have to learn from Dr. Wade when it comes to leadership. Well, you know, Dr. Wade is a is a prominent speaker and uh, just a, a gentleman. So, Dr. Wade, I, I think you could probably take it from here on on our, <laughs> we'll call it, our, our 12 minutes of leadership. Is that what they used to call it? 12 minutes of leadership? Yeah, 12 minute lessons for leaders. Yes. All right. Well, over to you. You got it. Okay. Hello, Dr. Vaughn. Thank you for allowing me this chance and opportunity to be on your show. And certainly to my cousin, uh, Matt Bowman, we, we thank him. Um, <clears throat> uh, Matt was fortunate, and I say this because uh, he had access to his grandfather way before I did. Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I was about 14 years old when I was fortunate enough to be transplanted to the low country. And um, <clears throat> it probably saved my life. In fact, it did save my life. Um, and, and spending time with his grandfather, his uh, paternal grandfather, um, Mr. Levi Bowman, who was my uncle, he was married to my grandmother's oldest sister, probably really changed my life um, and, and touched my life in ways now um, that at 53 years old, I, I, didn't, I wasn't listening, I was hearing, and then when I went into the Navy, I served in the US Navy myself after going to Claflin College for two years, I began to really listen and hear more clearly. Um, even in Claflin College, the, those, those 12 minute lessons that he would give me sometimes, I mean, he talked about a lot of stuff, but um, there was always this point when we were together where for about 10 or 12 minutes, he just kind of talked and focused on one thing um, or, or one point or really, explain something to me and um I, and and now a lot of times in my preaching and my speaking um when i'm called to do stuff i give what's called 12 minute lessons for leaders or 12 minute lessons for life and i'm ready i'm working on my third book which is going to be titled um 12 lessons for life i learned from my uncle levi um and so i was trying to think of what to say and which one of the lessons I wanted to share. And it's funny because um, I'm kind of a cook and I love cooking. And so I was sitting watching TV, Japanese uh, uh, dramas, and I decided to take my knives out and sharpen them. And I was sharpening my knives and trying to read the subtitle and two or three times, I almost cut my finger off. And at that time I heard my uncle Levi's voice clearly in my head say, Willie Jr don't ever sharpen your knives while watching the TV. And I just kind of laughed to myself. But what I thought about was how true that was just for life. Leaders never sharpen their knives while watching TV. What does that mean? Leaders do and sharpen their skills, be it archery, be it air, you know, piloting a $50 million aircraft, that um, if, the, if the US military uh, knew Matt, probably wouldn't have gave him the keys to it. <laughs> but uh, whatever it is, they sharpen their skills first. They focus on doing what they need to get done first. They, they focus on the important aspects of, of life first. And as he said, that, that mattress by 50. So you do all of the things you need to do in your life first to be a leader, to lead other men, to lead other women, to be an asset to the community, to be an asset to humanity, to be an asset to the general society. And then later on in life, you get to do what it is you want to do. You get to live that mattress lifestyle. And so leaders suffer, sacrifice, and sweat in the beginning. And then in the end, they get to sleep, sleep and spin. <laughs> they spend most of the day sleeping, they sleep some in the morning, they sleep some in the afternoon, and then they get to spend the rest of their time traveling and enjoying family and enjoying the fruits of their labor. And that's one of the things that my uncle Levi taught me. That's one of the things when we were traveling along, he, he said to me one day, and, and how it came about, 
um, he was talking to two guys. He was talking to one gentleman, and then another gentleman came up that he was excited to talk to. And he started talking to that guy, and then he got back to the other guy. And as we drove down the road in that, in that old 57 Chevy, Matt, he said to me, Willie Jr., don't ever sharpen your knives while watching TV. And I looked at him like, huh? And he said, well, you see the first guy I was talking to? I, I needed to talk to that guy. There's some stuff I needed to talk to that guy about and focus on. But the other guy who came up, he was a friend of mine. I hadn't seen him in a while. And I started talking to him and talking to him and got sidetracked. And I went back to talking to the guy who I needed to talk to. I forgot what my point was. And I wound up promising him to do something that I really shouldn't have had to promise him doing because I was sharpening my knife while watching TV. Focus on what you have to focus on. Do what it is you have to do first if you're going to be a leader. Sacrifice, sweat, uh, suffer in the beginning on the front end of life. And then on the back end of life, um, I was like you, uh, Dr. Vaughn. I thought that mattress meant you get to sleep all day. That's what I thought. So that's, that's one of the, the, the things that we're going to focus on. We focus on, we speak to people is these 12-minute lessons that I learned from those sharecroppers and farmers. And I like to always say, my bio says, my, my proudest boast is that I am the unlearned son of sharecroppers and farmers. I learned so many valuable things from them. I learned so many such rich ideas and concepts for them to be a leader and to be able not just to be a good leader, but to be a great follower so that when I became a leader as a pastor, as a minister, I understood what leaders needed because I was a follower and I knew what type of leader I needed when I was following orders of master chiefs or E5s or E6s or, or, or um, professors in school and stuff like that, or senior pastors. And so when I became a pastor, a senior pastor and senior minister, I understood what leadership needed to look like because I understood what the followers needed because I learned very early on to focus on what I needed to do. And eventually the time would come that I could do what I want to do. That is such a, a timely message, uh, Dr. Wade. But when you think about what it is that you just kind of hit us with, uh, you landed with focus. Uh, there are so many things, even in, in this COVID reality, that have us distracted. Uh, we're distracted, certainly by the virus. We're distracted by the economy. We can be distracted by uh, the legitimate racial unrest that we've experienced in this country. But uh, that whole importance of staying focused, uh, I think really is the embodiment of the lesson uh, that, that your, uh, your uncle was trying to convey, uh, because uh, you can uh, do a lot of damage, uh, even trying to do good stuff, uh, if you're not focused <laughs> on the right things. Right. And so I'm, I'm thinking uh, as we talk about these uh, lessons for leaders, uh, Mr. Bowman, uh, given the career that you highlighted for us, you certainly had to learn some lessons when you were going through your military career. Can you highlight a few of those that are top of mind for you? And, you know, absolutely. The, uh, the top three lessons that I have learned is number one, is have a big I believe button. My success in the military and in college and in life has been because I have a big I believe button. If you go through something and you're successful, I believe what I see and I'll follow your path. Likewise, if you go through something and you stumble and you fall, I don't judge you and say, well, he fell because he doesn't know what he's doing. I take I give you credit and say, I believe it must be hard because if he fell, I will probably fail too if I do that same thing. So number one is having a big I believe button. Number two is your team. The science tells you look at the five closest people to you and look at their lives and that will be your life. I would say it even uh, closer than that. I say look at the three closest people to you, who you talk to every day. And if they're not climbing, if they're not moving, then you won't be climbing and you won't be moving. 
And then the last lesson in leadership is stress. From the day you're born to the day you close your eyes, you will be dealing with stress. And the United States Navy has spent millions of dollars teaching me how to deal with stress. And so the stress stands for handling stress is one of the biggest lessons that I have learned. And the S stands for um, uh, being single-minded. So you have to compartmentalize. If you have problems on your, in your um, home, if you have problems with your finances, you cannot focus on those things while you're at work. The T stands for um, train your breathing. Nobody knows how stressed you are. Uh, they can only tell by your breathing. If your breathing increases, you're stressed. If your breathing is shallow, your voice changes, you're stressed. That's what the T stands for. The R stands for relaxation. You have to have something that you enjoy to take your mind off the troubles of life. The E stands for exercise. And everyone says, oh, you know, exercise. Um, maybe I'll go for a walk. Walks help. But if you really want to burn stress, boxing is the absolute best exercise to burn stress in a quick fashion. Unless you're a D1 athlete, unless you're a professional athlete, you cannot box a pillow for three minutes straight without wearing yourself out. And so that's a trick that if you're stressed, you can quickly get de-stressed. And then the, the, the last two S's stand for um, socialization. Make sure you have some friends that you can share your stress with and laugh it off. And then the final S stands for um, just keep in mind that this too will pass, that um, it can always, the seals say the last S stands for, it could always suck harder. It could always be worse. So when you find these special, um, you know, these U.S. Special Forces and a man has, you know, a, a leg blown off and, you know, one arm missing. Um, the training that they go through says, well, it could always be worse. I could have two arms off. I could have two legs off. And so that perspective allows you to handle stress. So those are my top three lessons. I, you know, I, the people who are listening to this podcast, um, they live in the greatest time that humanity has ever lived. They live in the greatest country that has ever been created. And they're descendants of the strongest people who've been in a 400-year mission to make our country the best country to ever exist. I'm telling you, you are taking us to church on High Tech Sunday. Uh, and so um, I was going to ask uh, Reverend uh, Dr. Wade, since I know he knows how to take folks to church, uh, can you pile on to that right quick? What, what would you say are your three top leaders leadership lessons? <laughs> I think my, my three top leadership lessons actually is summed up into one, and that word is focus. Um, face obstacles and challenges unmoved and unshaken. Um, and, and sometimes the S stands for stability, stabilize. If you can stabilize, if you can focus, and you can stabilize, uh, and you can stand stable when everybody else around you is shaking and trembling, people will be drawn to you. And you, your natural leadership abilities and skills will come out. You don't have to just search for them. They will make right the situation. They will take over. They will, they will get you and those who are following you where you need to be. And so I try to start each and every day with that basic principle, focus. What am I focused on today? And then I break that focus down, you know, these eight hours, what am I focused on? These eight hours, what am I focused on? And then these four hours, what is the focus? And then every hour, there is a different focus. I'm focused on something different or I block the day off you know, when I was in seminary, these four hours, I'm focused on studying. And in this first hour of these four hours, I'm focused on Old Testament. And this next hour and a half, I'm focused on Hebrew. And then, you know, this next 90 minutes, I'm focused on, you know, Egyptian literature. Whatever it is, you have to stay focused. And, and I always come back to the words of my Uncle Levi. Don't sharpen your knife while watching TV. 
do what you need to do. Focus on what's needed to be done first and foremost, and everything else will fall into place. So, yeah. Thank you so much. I'm telling you, uh, that's a, a, a load of wisdom you all are laying on us. And I'm sitting here taking notes. One thing that I wanted to uh, impose on you, Mr. Bowman, really quickly is uh, the mattress. Uh, you hit us with that, and it was really cool. Like I said, I totally missed it. And so I want to make sure that uh, our listeners and uh, myself uh, actually uh, got it. Could you give us that acronym one more time for mattress? Uh, absolutely, Dr. Vaughn. Uh, the M stands for money. The A stands for adventure. The T stands for training. Uh, the other T stands for travel. The R stands for rest and relaxation. The E stands for education. The S stands for um, social status. And then the last S stands for um, social environment, so family, wives, husbands, kids, spouses. And if you have those elements, you have all the elements you need for a successful life. I got it that time. And, I, and I'm telling you, when we're uh, reflecting on this conversation, I'm going to check how full my mattress is. I promise you that. <laughs> got a few moments. Dr. Vaughn, can I just say, uh, I'm about three years behind on my mattress plan but I'm slowly catching up. <laughs> I am not even going to tell you how far behind I am, but, <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully Matt would tell us that it's never too late to work on your mattress. Amen. <laughs> it, it really is. It really is never too late. And, you know, um, you know, we talk about the engineering, but you know, there are other passions and hobbies that people have in life and those also are rewarding. So, um, so I just encourage everyone to just, Continue to listen to podcasts um, like these. This has just been a wonderful experience, and I, I thank you all. Well, we certainly appreciate you. I want to end uh, kind of a, uh, in a place where we, we heard from you uh, a little earlier. Uh, you were talking about the awe that you experienced watching uh, that launch uh, and how it was uh, such a powerful demonstration of uh, not only ingenuity uh, as far as engineering is concerned, but uh, just the opportunity that we have uh, when we're thinking about uh, STEM and all that it brings to us. Uh, you're a pilot. You were in the military. Uh, so can you try to describe in words what the experience is like commanding an aircraft and seeing the world from the perspective that that literally only a very few of us ever get to witness what what was that like um, the, the the feeling and the experience of being a tactical pilot in an aircraft is indescribable so i will describe it this way and and many people have tried um, but I would say it's like this, especially on this high-tech Sunday. Um, once you launch off of an aircraft carrier in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, uh, you go from zero to 150 miles an hour in 1.8 seconds. It's like being slung off of a slingshot um, into space. And then you quickly accelerate from 150 miles an hour up to over 600 miles an hour. And as you're flying through the blue skies and you're cloud surfing and you make the, um, your airplane get into the cloud. So the only thing you can see, the only thing anyone can see is a little fin. It's almost like a shark fin as you fly through the air and you're pulling G's and you're drawing circles and donuts into the sky and you're in the wild blue yonder. That is exhilarating. It's like no experience. It's like no roller coaster you've ever been on. It's a freedom that you can't even describe. There's an autonomy, there's a responsibility, but at the end of the day, it's a freedom. And you look up at night, you see the stars and God's creation, but what really makes and separates flying from anything else is coming back to the carrier in the Pacific Ocean. And you type in GPS and it says San Francisco, 2,000 miles. And then you type in GPS and it says Hong Kong, 2,000 miles. And you realize you're 4,000 miles from land, 4,000 miles. If you go into the water, 
you have 4,000 miles to get to land and you're looking from, for the aircraft carrier and there's a battle group down there below, somewhere in that big blue expanse of ocean that has 12,000 people. And you look on your instruments and it says the carrier is 20 miles away. And as you're looking at the water, you see nothing. You can't see anything. The little aircraft carrier that's a thousand feet long, five acres of sovereign U.S. territory, doesn't even look like a dot. And that's when you realize that the Most High has created a wondrous world, that you are just a very small but important part of that world. And then you're looking and looking, and the instruments say, look right at that spot. And you, no matter what your vision is, you got to squint. And in the middle of this big Pacific Ocean, you see this, I mean, it's not even a speck. It's not even a speck. And you go, that's the carrier? That's the $2 billion warship? That little dot? The ocean can swallow a carrier and not even burp. It can take 12,000 people under like that and not even, there won't even be nothing left of you. And that's when you realize the creation and the creator has done a wondrous thing. When you come down out of the sky into the stack, they call it the Marshall stack, to get in line to land, and you watch all the airplanes in front of you go from 120 miles an hour down to zero in 0.2 seconds. It's half a second that you go from traveling 100 miles an hour. It's, a, it's what they call a controlled crash. And it's your time to come around and you get to three quarters of a mile. And they say, you know, um, you know, Prowler 527, call the ball. And you look and you see the um, aircraft lined up the way it's supposed to be. And you see the ball lined up where it's supposed to be. And then you say Prowler ball in your deepest voice to sound manly and aviator-like. And then all of a sudden you look at your instruments and you're doing 130 miles an hour. And the next thing you know, you slam on the flight deck and you're stopped. And no matter how much you brace, your momentum carries you forward. No matter how much you tighten those straps, you still come forward. And then you say a prayer and thank God that you landed back on the carrier. You fold your wings up and you taxi to your landing spot, climb out the aircraft and the maintenance come over to you and they ask you, sir, how was it? And then you share that experience with those young men and women. And so that whole evolution, that whole flight evolution is wondrous. I won't tell you about how it is to land at night behind a moving boat and how you might, because uh, we want to inspire young people to do it. Our goal here is not to scare them, but um, it's in that exhilaration of life or death that the magic truly happens. Um, so, um, so that's what it's like to fly. I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, they, they say that old men relive their lives every day. I can tell you that as a man who is, um, has more gray hairs than black, I relive those experiences each and every day. And I'm excited that I've had those opportunities. Wow. Mr. Matt Bowman, Reverend Dr. Willie Wade, thank you both so much for enlightening us and sharing your stories and wisdom with us. And what a great note for us to end on, on this episode of High Tech Sunday. I appreciate it. And I'm telling you, there is definitely going to be a lot of seeds that are sown uh, as this episode is being played and replayed as we are thinking about what it is that we see when we look up. So I'm going to hand it back over to Brandon Newby, and he's going to take us out. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communications Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, and this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.